Hey everybody, welcome to Just For Variety. Today is October 12th, 2021. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Juliana Margulies. The Emmy-winning actor, best known for ER and The Good Wife, recently made her debut on the second season of The Morning Show, playing Laura Peterson, a lesbian news anchor who becomes a surprise love interest for Reese Witherspoon's character, Bradley. Then later in the show, I catch up with Numi Rapace, who stars in the new Icelandic horror thriller, Lamb. But before we get to my interviews, let's take a look inside the pages of Variety. Shangela, Bob the Drag Queen, and Yuriko O'Hara are back for a second season of We're Here, their HBO reality show in which they travel to small towns across the U.S. to help local LGBTQ residents put on a drag show. I attended the premiere this past Friday on the Sony lot in Culver City. The star-studded guest list included Charlize Theron, Zoe Deschanel, and Molly Shannon. Shangela told me, I'm feeling great. I just feel so grateful. I grew up in Paris, Texas, not seeing a lot of visibility and representation. And now we get to bring that and amplify those voices throughout America. We're here premiered on HBO on October 11th to coincide with National Coming Out Day. You could also see a photo gallery from the premiere party at Variety.com. Welcome back to Just for Variety. Juliana Margulies may be best known for her award-winning work on ER and The Good Wife, but now everyone is talking about her guest role on season two of The Morning Show. Margulies plays Laura Peterson, a news anchor who arrives to interview Alex, played by Jennifer Aniston. But then a bombshell storyline. Laura, an out lesbian, begins a romance with Bradley, played by Reese Witherspoon. I talked to Margulies about being asked to play a gay woman, why she loves Laura so much, and if she's going to be back if the morning show is picked up for another season. Plus, I couldn't not ask her about the 15-year anniversary of Snakes on a Plane, which she starred in with Samuel L. Jackson. Here's Juliana Margulies. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I am good. I was just saying I'm getting over a cold, which, you know, during these time periods, you tell someone you have a cold and it's like, oh. Yeah, it's frightening, I know. And she sneezed. You're like, I don't have COVID. I'm really, I'm okay. <laughs> no, literally, my, my husband had strep throat last week and I was at some event and someone said, oh, where's Fabian? That's my husband's name. And I said, oh, he has strep throat, not COVID. Right, I know. That's just going to be that for a while and that's okay. That's okay, as long as it's just a cold. As long as it's not COVID. <laughs> right. Um, how are you? How has your last 18 months been? I'm good. I mean, I can't <laughs> complain about anything, you right. know? I got to work during COVID and uh, we had a place to go that wasn't in New York City and um, we had space. So I feel very fortunate compared to so many. In New York, it really feels like it's almost over. Does it? Does it? Yeah, because I've gone, I've come back a few, my mom's out on Long Island. So I've come back a few times and the first time I came back was in the heaviness of it. And I was staying actually in the Times Square area and I was, and oh. I grew up in Queens. So I know, you know, I know New York and I was just like, this city has been shut down. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, was it, it was, it was a ghost town, but yeah. now you wouldn't know. I mean, oh, it, I was great. in front of a live audience last night at Colbert, even though they were all masked, but, right. and I, you know, everyone inside the building had been tested, but it felt so good to be yeah. back. You know, Does, just see people, that energy, I've just missed it. And you go back to work, you go, back, you go do the morning show. How long hadn't you been working when you went to set for the morning show? 
um, I think, well, it had been about eight months, wow. maybe nine, nine months since I had worked. Yeah. It felt, it felt crazy. In fact, um, had it been that maybe it had been, no, no, maybe it hadn't been quite that long because I was on my way actually to a fitting for my last episode of billions in March. And we were in the car and the phone rang and they said, we're shutting down everything right now, go home. And so maybe it had been less than, less than that. Yeah. It had been about eight, seven or eight months. It's, it's weird. That's becoming that thing. Like, where were you when you were told don't come back to work? Yeah, I know. I know. And my husband came home from work on March 11th, I think it was. Mm -hmm. And he said, let's pack our bags and get out of here. And I was like, wow. What does that mean? <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. We, yeah, we packed for two weeks and we ended up there for, you know, eight months. Is this an episode of the hot zone? I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, last night on Colbert, he showed a clip of my last appearance on the show where I was promoting hot zone. And I was talking about it wasn't a matter of if another pandemic would happen. It was a matter of when. And he showed that clip and I said, no one listened. <laughs> But how many how many people called you during this? Going, what do you know that we? I, know, I don't know much. I I immediately um I immediately got in touch with Nancy Jacks, the infectious disease specialist that I played on the Hot Zone, just to say, hey, are you okay when the pandemic happened, and also to say, are we going to be? Are we all going to survive this? Wow. Um, and she said, you know, we had a task force in place that Obama had in the White House that the Trump administration got rid of the second they came into office. And had we had that, we would have been way ahead of the curve. So there you go. Good times. You know, it. I want to say it still shocks me, but it doesn't. And nothing just, shocks anymore, right? Right. And that's kind of scary, isn't it? I mean, that's why they couldn't keep Veep going, because yeah. I remember Julia Louis-Dreyfus going, it can't get more absurd than the president <laughs> we have. Uh, so there you go. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, you're on the morning show. Laura is a great character. Thank you. I love playing her. I love her. So when when they come to you, do they... Is it a matter of they sit down and give you sort of a log line on who Laura is, or it's like, here's a script... Tell us what you think. How did, how does that come about? Yeah, no, it was uh, um, Carrie Aaron, the showrunner. She had a whole outline for who Laura was in the past and where her character was going, um, which is rare. You know, it's rare to get yeah. such a rich 20 year history of who this character was before you get to play her. That's usually the homework I do on my own. <laughs> um, and I didn't have to do much, except I had so many resources because I knew her backstory um, and her relation, her history with, with Jennifer Aniston's character, Alex. And um, so I, I got to do, I got to do the fine tuning of the work in, in terms of my, my own, you know, preparation, but it was pretty much there on the page. Uh, and that hmm. was exciting. What do you like about her? You know, I really love that she's 100% comfortable in her own skin and she has no ulterior motives. She doesn't have a hidden agenda. She mm -hmm. is um, probably the only character on that show that has no hidden skeletons in her closet. And so 
to me anyway, the way I view her in the midst of all this chaos that's going around and all these secrets people are trying to keep. It's like she just, all she has to do is stand still just to make a difference, you know? You see this stillness in her where she's looking. It's almost like she's the lens of the audience. And the audience gets to watch these people un absolutely like they're spiraling down in front of your eyes, but you sort of see it through Laura's and Laura's done all the work on herself in the, you know, to get completely comfortable with who she is in, as in her sexuality to have gone back to, you know, field work in journalism and, and really earned her stripes the right way to get to where she is in her career, which is at the top. Um, it's sort of a wonderful place to play to, to watch people squirming and to say, you know, your life doesn't have to be this hard. <laughs> You're making but, it much harder than it needs to be. <laughs> but by the time this runs, it'll be after the fourth episode. And I'll preface everything with like, that might be spoilers. So, so yeah. don't worry. Um, sure. But I love when Bradley breaks the vase. And I'm like, Okay, that was a little unhinged. Yeah, it was you just think? A, red, a little. <laughs> By the way, but. in the script, it says a Ming vase, so it's like it's like a a you know hundred thousand dollar vase. Just it's a Ming Dynasty vase. Just you know, and she she hands me the Crate and Barrel three hundred dollar <laughs> gift certificate, where I, my character's like, okay. <laughs> which, which, by the way, you didn't have to say Ming vase. Looking at that apartment. And right. seeing Laura, I knew I was like, that was really expensive. That wasn't just a crane barrel vase. Right. But right. what I love when Laura is like, okay, later. You're, yeah. Like you're the only character who could who could make like this clean cut. Everybody else tries to, you know, for lack of a better term, break up with each other professionally or personally. But they can't do it clean. It's all so messy. Where Laura's like so messy. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. Laura has no time for that crap. You know, <laughs> that's what was so fun playing her was she's like, it's it's actually much easier to live life when you have clarity. Mm -hmm. Right. And they all have this like just cobwebs in front of their eyes that they can't <laughs> seem to get out of. Um, right. And even, you know, even Corey, who's her good friend from a long time ago, you know, she he's got his own agenda and stuff going on. Like everyone's scared of they're running scared and mm -hmm. Laura isn't. Did, did you reach out to people in broadcast journalism and say, is it anything like this? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there were a few, uh, well, I didn't even have to because a few <laughs> of them, when they heard I was doing it, um, reached out to me and said, Oh my God, you're doing the morning show. <laughs> um, I don't think it's my, it, I mean, you know, they have to take artistic license to make it interesting. Right. Um, I can pretty much guarantee you that Gail King isn't uh, isn't throwing anyone under the bus on her set. But, <laughs> but I'm sure there's a few things in there. What I, what I also couldn't help but wonder, and I know you've talked about this, where you look at Ellen DeGeneres and look at other LGBTQ, you know, personalities, celebrities, bullface names, whatever you want to call them. But you in episode four, you talk about it being, I believe it was 1997. Yeah, it was like 97, 98. It was right, Wait. it was right just before when when my character got, got outed right. and then fired for being gay. 
It was just before Ellen came out. Yeah. Um, I, I still have that Time magazine. Yeah, says, yeah I remember yeah. reading it. And and I actually was on on the Ellen show as a guest star. They, I was doing ER and they asked me to come over and, and do a, I don't remember what I played. It was back, like, it, I don't know, it was back in the 50s or something, the actual episode. And it was just before then. Um, and she came out, I think the next week or something. And I just remember being like, wow, brave, fantastic. Yeah. Good for you. Do, do you remember when you were, listen, you're, you're at the height of your fame. It's ER. Do you remember actors, producers who said, you know what? I can't be out in Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, no one, no one ever said it to my, I don't know anyone who ever um, said it to my face really, but you, mm -hmm. you knew who they were and it always felt, I always felt devastated for them mm. because the idea of not, you know, the idea of not being able to work because of your sexual preference mm. is so antiquated and so <laughs> um, ridiculous. It's like saying to me, well, you're not a single uh, mother, you're married. So now I can't play one. Right. right. Like, well, what, you know, or, or, you know, telling actresses who have never had children, they can't get the role of being the mom because they've never had children. I mean, we're talking about, you know, we act, right. you play it. I understand that I can't play black. You know, I understand when it comes to race and that, you know, we need to, you know, uh, broaden our, our, all our horizons and allow people to work 100% mm. all the time. But when it comes to your sexuality, I, I just don't understand why that's an issue. I never have, but I'm naive that way. And I don't have religious beliefs. And I think that's where we get into a whole, um, especially for, for a journalist to be fired because she's been outed, by the way, against her, uh, her will. Um, I, it was really easy to crawl back into her skin and understand how she would feel then as a journalist. And what I admire about the character is that she, she said, okay, I better come to terms with being gay and being public if, mm. I'm, if I wanna be a journalist. And instead of you know, trying to get back into the seat she had just gotten fired from, she went back out into the field and, and did what she loved studying in school, which is field work, you know? Yeah. Being in the midst of the, the war, the battle, the crisis and putting her life on the line and then building her way back up so that when she does get to, when you meet her, when the audience meets her, she, she's been through it. Yeah. So seeing her react to Bradley and Alex and all that's going on on the morning show is kind of, it's just delicious. Yeah, I feel like Laura has done some years of therapy. So many years of therapy. <laughs> I mean, there's an episode I don't think you've seen it yet, but there's an episode where she says to Bradley, she's like, have you ever thought about therapy? Like, you need some help, honey. <laughs> what, was there any hesitation about playing a gay character? We do talk a lot about representation, about LGBTQ actors um, wanting those roles. Was there a hesitation at all saying, you know what, maybe I shouldn't be doing this? Uh, in other words, a, a gay actor should do it or? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Um, I, you know, no, um, mm -hmm. because they asked me to do it and yeah. I, um, I've played a gay character before 
And who's to say I haven't had my own gay experiences? Like you're, you know, we're making assumptions then. That's so that's a really good point. You know, I I felt like they were going with what they felt was the best choice for them, and and the best choice to fit um, in between these two very powerful lead women on that show. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know I know there was some trepidation of of you know will will lesbian actresses be angry? Um, and I can tell you, I, I would never, ever be angry if a lesbian played a straight woman. Right. And I, yeah. I, I don't think there's, you know, I, I haven't seen the discrimination towards lesbians to play gay women. Right. So I don't know if it's the same kind of um, conundrum, but maybe What's I'm talking- naive, maybe it is. And if so, I apologize. <laughs> but no one's asked me about my sexual history, so I fear I feel like that's my job. That's that's what I. I'm, that's I'm my not. <laughs> I'm not asking you about your sexual history. No, I know, but that's the, my whole point is just saying, yeah. like you know, yeah. It's a it's a it's a very valid point. I think. Uh, I think Benedict Cumberbatch said it also recently, in in the same way, he said, you know, now we're what. You know, we could get into the whole politics right. of what makes right. someone does it gay. Mean what Kate, makes, yeah. Kate Winslet can't play an American in Mare of Easton. Does it mean that, you know, none of the Australian actresses that are taking parts <laughs> away from American actresses, you know, Kate Blanchett played Catherine Hepburn for crying out loud. <laughs> you know, where was the uproar in that? You know, Kristen right. Davis just played Prin- Princess Diana. What, we're actors. It's what we do. I understand where the line needs to be drawn right. when it comes to race. One hundred percent. I would never take a part away from a Hispanic actor. Like I honestly, my first role, I played a Puerto Rican girl in a Steven Seagal film, but back then you didn't even think about it. Mm. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't part of the dialogue. Um, Whereas now I not in a million years, I would say, no, go find a Puerto Rican to play a Puerto Rican. (laughs) Um, But that doesn't mean that I can't play English or French or, you know what I mean? Like you have, but you have to draw the line at certain things, but I, I, I am sensitive to, to it um i think i think it was with um rupert everett where mm-hmm. he i remember him reading an article about him talking about how scared he was to come out yeah um and that he wouldn't work you know and i just i just remember reading it and thinking my god that is devastating but we do have to talk about the kiss oh okay <laughs> my husband and i were on the couch we're watching, and it literally is one of those moments where we looked at each other. Wait, what? What did, did that? Wait, I saw that, right? What just happened? Just, literally, when did you know the kiss was going to happen? Reading the script or beforehand? Uh, reading the script. When they sent it to me uh, to offer me the role, they sent me the first script, and it's in the first script I'm in, or the first right. episode I'm in. The episode three. I did not know, by the way, until it aired that it was called Laura. I didn't know the episode <laughs> was called my character's name. I was really excited about that because I thought, wow, she's made a the characters made a real uh impression on Bradley for sure. Um, but also on Alex, you know, and, and that is what I loved about it too, was that you know, I've talked about this before, but the fact that they have these you know, you've got Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon playing these two very strong characters. And in the second season, instead of bringing a man in to upset that balance, right. they brought in a woman. And I, you know, hats off to that. 
Um, because the truth is women are more afraid of women anyway. They dress for women. Mm. You know, we don't dress for men. We dress for each other. Um, mm. We want to impress each other much more so, I think, than we want to, at least where from where I'm from. Um, <laughs> it made so much sense, you know, and I thought, oh, a show that gets women. This is great. When you look back on your, you know, and this is going back to, you know, being on ER, could you have ever imagined a script coming along and them saying, you're going to kiss Reese Witherspoon or kiss one of the biggest- Kiss America's sweetheart. (laughs) Right. I mean, just a few years ago, it wouldn't have happened. You think just a few years ago? Yeah. Or it would have, here, let me take the back. It would have happened a few years ago, but it would have been made into an event. Right. Well, also, I think because I did a movie um, uh, that Gurinder Chadha directed called What's Cooking, where uh, Kira Sedgwick and I were a couple mm-hmm. and we had quite a few intimate scenes in that movie. Um, and I think it I think you're right. I think with television, it's very different. It was yeah. very different back then. Yeah. Um, and it wouldn't have happened. I mean, I did that movie and I think it was 98 or 99 yeah. maybe. But um, I think now with streaming, the, the lines have been blurred, right? Between film and television, it sort of seems to be all one. I mean, yeah. every movie star seems to want to do television and I say, welcome to it. And I'm so glad <laughs> they finally figured it out. Um, but I, I do think it definitely, um, it wouldn't have happened on network television anyway. Yeah. But I can imagine yeah. cable. Yeah, I mean, I remember a few years ago, Modern Family, when when Jesse Tyler Ferguson and why am I forgetting his name? Who plays his oh, husband? Stone, Eric. Oh, yeah, Eric Stone Street. When they kissed, it was literally I was interviewing both of them for weeks, saying, "Are you going to kiss?" Because that was a big deal, right? It was a big deal, and they yeah. couldn't say, and it was like it became this big sort of it, they eventicized it. Yeah, in a way, right. we're here, which was amazing, was like I said, my husband and I are watching it and it's like, oh, wow, like <laughs> no one leaked it. No one said it was happening. We had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, we, we weren't allowed to talk about any of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Um, I know I was, I, you know, because I, I'm not a big social media person anyway. So right. she was like, we were taking pictures, not of us kissing, but of each other, right. you know, together on the set. And she's like, now y'all can't post that until the show comes out. And I, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay, never mind. <laughs> Meanwhile, I've, I, I, I'm like, I don't, I, I don't even know how to post anything anyway. So it doesn't matter. <laughs> so season three, will Laura be back? Um, if they want me to, I would be back. I, I, I haven't heard officially that there is a season three yet. Me so neither. I think I, what? <laughs> me neither. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so if there is, I would be back in a, in a jiffy. I really loved playing her. And I think it will be easier to film when we're not in the midst of the pandemic, you know, it's gotten, yeah. it even got easier as we, in the beginning, it was just, um, it was too much of a time commitment for me because I live in New York and they film in LA and with the pandemic, I had to quarantine for seven days and then shoot. And then, you know, someone would get COVID on the set and you'd have to quarantine again. And before I knew it, it was three weeks and I hadn't been with my family. And I just said, guys, I, 
I can't do that. I've left my, I've left them alone to fend for themselves. So I feel like next time, if there is a next time, um, it will be much easier and, and, and just faster for me anyway. So now I have to ask you a fun question. Okay. This year marks 15 years of snakes on a plane. <laughs> That's so funny. I just found, I was cleaning out my closet and I found my snakes on a plane hat. And um, oh gosh, I should auction that off to raise money for something, shouldn't I? There you go. It's I'll figure 15th, it out. Yeah. Um, is it really been 15 years? August was 15 years. Yes. You know, that piece of deep, deep intellectual literature that I managed to get up on screen. Um, I had a ball shooting that film. Yeah, what do you remember most? I remember most that Samuel L. Jackson um, had in his contract that he had to be 25 feet away from snakes at all times. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I'm with him. Um, so he and I never actually went near real snakes ever. Um, they scare me to death. I, I think it's just because they're, I can't, they're not cuddly. Like you can't, I, I just don't understand them. Um, so I, I remember that the most was that I was on a movie called Snakes on a Plane and I never once had an encounter with a snake. A few fake ones I did, which was kind of fun, but not real ones. Do you remember how that project came to you and how it was pitched? I want to be in that pitch meeting. You know, what I remember is I remember Samuel L. Jackson's agent called me mm -hmm. and said, he's going to do this movie. You should do it with him. And I was like, I'll do anything with Samuel L. Jackson. I'd <laughs> love to be in a movie with Samuel L. Jackson. And then I went in and I met the director. I don't think there was a full on script yet. Um, I don't think. Um but I didn't care. I, I had never done that kind of camp, right. you know, um, sort of an action-y movie. And it was Samuel L. Jackson. So I was on board right away. Um, but it, but it was, it's not a great movie. We can say that, right? But I know people love it. People love it. And listen, we still quote it. Well, we how can you it. not? How right. can you not quote that movie? I mean, he said it so brilliantly. But it was his him? movie through and through. And, and right. he he was so much fun to work with. He's, you know, he's Samuel L. Jackson. How can you get, it doesn't get better than that. I mean, just the title of it is just so direct, I guess. Well, they actually basic? tried to change the title. I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, they actually tried to change the title. And Samuel said, no fucking way. I signed up to do this movie because it's called Snakes on a motherfucking plane, and that's what we're gonna call it. <laughs> so has your him. son has your son watched it? No, he doesn't watch anything I'm in. He not even snakes on a plane. No, I've asked him. I've said, you know, do you have any desire? Um, he's really into anime right now, and he loves like sword fighting and stuff. And I said, you know, honey, I galloped on horses and and drew swords and killed Saxons and Miss of Avalon. And I did most of my own stunts. We have the DVD. You can watch it. And he was like, why? He doesn't like to see me other than the mother. And I think that's healthy. It's, I'm fine with it. I like that. Well, you will never remember this, but I was on a set of yours <gasps> years ago 
when you and Renee Zellweger are playing Hasidic Jews. The price of our rubies. Yes. I think I was the only Jewish person in that movie. <laughs> um, I think I, I, love, I love telling the only Jewish person in that movie. Oh, no. Uh, uh, Peter Jacobson, who played Shmuel, my <laughs> husband. And do you know that is one line I've taught my son because Boaz Yakin, uh, I had a line that said, round up the kids and take them to Davin Marie Fitzshul, Shmuel. That was my line. And I couldn't say it with a straight face. And I just kept laughing. It was awful. Like I could not. And I said, could you either take the shul out of the line or the shmuel out of the line? But I can't say take them to shul shmuel because it just sounds crazy. And he just sat there, arms crossed. He goes, nope, you got to say it. And I, and okay. I finally did, but only because it was getting so late and I was laughed out. That is genius because I do love telling people when they don't know. I'm like, you know, Renee Zellweger once played a shadle. And I looked like Annette Funicello with that shadle. I had like the bang. I just, I, I looked like Annette Funicello from, from the Mickey Mouse Club. It was great. Um, I shot that, I think, while I was doing ER. Yeah. Yes. And Renee, I think Jerry Maguire had just come out. Had or just come about out. to come out. Yeah. Oh, I had to kiss. She kisses me in that. Remember, she has this moment uh -huh, in the movie where and I, I'm her sister-in-law, where she's sort of just falling apart and she just grabs me and kisses my lips. See, wow. I've played many wow. a life, though. <laughs> yeah, in fact, Carol Hathaway, apparently there was a whole thing going on when I was playing Carol Hathaway. There was a big lesbian bar in Hollywood. And that's where they would go Thursday nights to watch Carol Hathaway. I, I must have given off that vibe or something. Oh, Car for sure. Carol was a lesbian icon. Yeah, I didn't know that until a few years into it. And I was so, oh, my God, I wore that as a badge of honor. And now Laura is the next one. I'm all for it. This is awesome. <laughs> this is so much fun. Thank you. Thank um, you so much, Mark. That was Juliana Margulies. We're going to take a short break, but when I return, I'll be chatting with Numi Rapace, star of A24's new Icelandic horror thriller, Lamb. I'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. Numi Rapace first earned our attention playing Lisbeth Salander in the Swedish film adaptation of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. In her latest project, Lamb, she plays Maria, a woman who lives on a remote farm in Iceland. Before I go any further, I do need to warn you that the interview contains spoilers. Maria and her husband Ingvar decide to raise a baby lamb as their own child because half of its body is human. It's a horror thriller that I promise will leave you thinking about and discussing this film for a very long time. Here's Numi Rapace. What the hell? 
I have so many questions. And what I do have to, you know, warn listeners is that you can't talk about this movie really in full without spoilers. Um, because the premise of the movie is wacko. Um, so let's start. How, when people say to you, what is Lamb about? What do you tell them? It's a love story. <laughs> yeah. It's the story about motherhood, grief, and how far you'll go to heal and to protect your child, sort of. Um, mm. it, it, and I, what I love about the film is like, it actually like, um, it has so many layers and uh, there's like many ways to, people see different films and people see different stories in it. And um, for me, it was like, it almost like two stories going on at the same time. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. So is it a horror? Is it a thriller? What is it? Can you tell? I feel like it's its own genre. It's like, it's like light horror drama, but it's very Icelandic. And I grew up in Iceland and everything is kind of on the edge there. So I'm like, it's just a film. <laughs> <laughs> is that how? I've never been to Iceland. You just said that it's very Icelandic. Is that how life is? Because <laughs> that's on edge. No, I mean, um, I grew up, I moved to Iceland when I was like five. And my grandmother was like, we're out riding. And she was like, yeah, we can't cross that hill because that's the elf hill. You know, so so I mean by that is like, you know, they live very close to nature and maybe creatures we don't see. And it's like, you know, animals and humans and fairies and elves and like you know they're here you know they're around you might not see them but you know he's standing right there behind you so that kind of um 360 awareness of all kind of life forms some you might not see I was very like open for that idea as a child mm -hmm. so I think like when land what I mean is like the whole like folklore the old mysteries like I grew up with this um you know, every Christmas they, they scare the kids with like Grilla is like this Icelandic witch. She's going to come and eat you <laughs> if you're not a good, good kid. And mm -hmm. then Grilla has like, you know, the Yola Kotturin, which is like the, the Christmas cat will come and snatch you. And I was like, it's like all these really brutal things. And I was like, and, and they were so normal. And I was like, I remember I was really quite stubborn as a kid. I was like, I was so angry one Christmas. I was like, bring her on. Like, let me, let me talk to her. Like, I was so angry that everyone was like trying to like scare me off. And I was like, so I think like for, in that sense, it's very Icelandic because for Icelandic people, they wouldn't even ask what kind of genre this is. This is. You know what I mean? It's just like, mm. oh, it's, you know, it's a story. <laughs> It's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale. <laughs> so, you know, you, you you star as one half of a couple who is raising this mysterious, mysterious, I guess that's a good word for it, um, half lamb, half human, child lamb baby. Yeah. So my question is, is it real? Or what what I got was that the couple suffered some sort of loss of a child and they you know they are these farmers and this lamb is born and for some reason they're seeing this lamb as half human where even when we're 
watching and obviously the lamb is in children's clothing and walking on two legs my head is going oh no 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 that's not reality that's what this couple is seeing yeah i mean yes i think it is you you can see Ata, my baby lamb (laughs) as a metaphor for healing i mean there is because when you when you look at Maria, my character in the beginning, she's almost she's quite shut down. She doesn't really speak much. She's just kind of doing what she needs to do to get on with her life, like the daily routines. But she's not open. She shuts something down because it's too too much pain in here. And then then Ata is born, this baby lamb, and then she just takes this opportunity to kind of build a bridge from from the trauma from the from the from the moment her heart broke uh, into something new to hope for a future for rich into something lighter and 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 she puts all that hope into this gift she calls Atta a gift and a gift and it's an opportunity to heal um so she makes um i i think like Ada becomes like medicine you know medicine mm-hmm. for the soul and is she there or not is it just a lamb or is it a baby lamb um for me, it was very real because um, we shot with both babies and lambs. And I think like in my head, I just melted those two <laughs> bodies into one. <laughs> so Mark, I turned into a weird, I was like so asocial. I was, she was shooting up in like in Akureyri, which is like up in the North part of Iceland. I didn't talk to anyone. I was like hanging with the animals, driving the tractor, um, going to the gym in the mornings, ending in the gym in the evenings, didn't have dinners. I was like in my little bubble, um, more closer to the animals and to the nature than to anyone around me. And was this because of your background or more because of um, some sort of kind of method acting that maybe you didn't even realize you were doing at the time? I would say that each character kind of decides the destiny of my life for that moment and like guides me and I just let her take me. And and I felt like Maria very much just hijacked my body and her pain, because yeah, they did lose their own child four years ago and she's she never recovered. And then I felt when we started walking, my body was in so much pain and then I just I used, I was like very minimal in my communication with, with people. Mm. Um, and it was not really a choice. And, and I, I guess my method is that I always just try to embrace whatever the character needs me to do. I'll go there. And mm. I try to be open and just like, okay, what's, what's required right now. And, uh, but, but it's, you know, it was, it was, it was a hard shoot because it was quite, we were isolated. It was quite rough. You know, it was the smallest production I've ever been on. And mm. and I think everyone, some people even lived on the farm where we shot it. It was so intimate. And it was very, um, it was an amazing l- little crazy adventure of searching into yourself, you know. What I found fascinating when you when you watch the details behind the couple, the kitchen is spotless. When she's drive, when you drive um, in the Jeep and you're making coffee, the Jeep is spotless. It's like shiny new. 
And there was this, for me, it was this incredible, um, I don't know what the word is, but because I, I, I don't, I, I want to make sure that I'm saying it correctly, or just it's what I felt. This was this couple in grief, and there was such this darkness overhead, but the kitchen, like I said, the kitchen was spotless, the car was spotless, everything, yeah. even when, when you're feeding the animals and yeah. they come over the thing and they're eating, everything is so controlled. Yeah. It's like great, like a spotless order around you because because yeah. you, you're so chaotic inside. Yeah. You couldn't control your grief yeah. or you were trying to control, or Maria was trying to control her grief. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, for sure. And you know, it's interesting, like, in the end, when she danced, and then, you know, she has, she makes love to um, her husband, and then she danced at night, and then she starts to open up and li like life starts to fill her up again. And then in the end, um, after she drops the brother off, she comes back. And it's the first time you really hear, hear her voice, you know, I'm not going to spoil the ending. But when she's like, Rah! you know, it's, it's like, yeah. It's almost like she needed to go on this intense, this summer of healing um, and, and to, to find her to, for life to come back into her system um, mm -hmm. and to, to, to be reborn somehow. But she needed to lose something for that to be possible. Right. So it's, it's this, um, it was very physical. Um, and I could feel like towards the end, my skin started changing color. My lips started to get like, more red it was this weird like I could feel like I, I had no circulation in the beginning of the sh shoot like I was so cold and like bluish mm -hmm. and then in the end like it was like life started oozing back into my body but the pain in my like the immediate pain was even bigger and greater it was so weird it was so physical well I was going to say what did the script look like when you were handed the script what did what is a script, you know, there is very, very, like you said, she doesn't speak that much. There's very little dialogue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the script was like that. And then Valtemar and Hrun, the producer, came to London to my house to, to have a meeting with me. They brought me the script and a book um, of Sean, the poet, one of the writers, um, um, and then a lookbook, like this strange kind of mood board with like pictures and drawings and like really quite disturbing and I was so obsessed with his lookbook and I was like this strange introduction to Valdemar's head I guess and I was like well I need to do this <laughs> I've been waiting for this since as long as I can remember and I was like read the script it's like they don't talk <laughs> and then I have this crazy imaginary um brutal and beautiful lookbook that is just so uh, it was almost like a weird trip, like, you know, kind of, I was hallucinating looking at it. I was like, mm -hmm. I need, I need to, I need to be brave and just jump into this universe. How, um, what was it like seeing the lamb baby, baby for the first time as, I mean, cause I know, I knew, I knew, I didn't know exactly the premise of the movie. I knew there was some half human, half animal. And I was sort of, I was, when I was watching it, I was waiting and I was like, wait a minute, this is a lamb. Like, where's this, where's the half baby, half lamb? And then the moment where we saw the baby's tushy, <laughs> our little bum, yeah. her little bum. Yeah. 
I went, <gasps> yeah. What were, when did you see that for the first time? Was it in post or when you first saw the movie? How did? Um, yeah, it was in post. Um, but also we had um, Peter York is an amazing Danish man who works a lot with Lars von Trier. Um, I think he did the fox in Antichrist. Do you remember that little weird fox? Yeah. So he was actually like, he was playing Adda, like he was the puppet master. So there was like a lamb head and he was walking this strange walk and like, you know, looking at us in a certain way. So she was kind of coming to life while we were shooting. But um, obviously when I, when I finally saw the movie or like the first rough cut, it was like with a lot of weird green screen effects still, but like, then it was like, I, I remember getting just goosebumps and I was like, oh, it's actually gonna work. Cause I was scared, you know, cause you didn't know if it was gonna work. You could have oh. really like, really weird and tacky. Like if it was done the wrong way. I was like, mm, why did Nomi do this small Icelandic movie with this weird baby human lamb? <laughs> I mean, when, <laughs> when Ada is in the suspenders, it, you so cute so cute but then okay so then I'm, everything's coming back to me now too at the end eh, we can't talk about it that's way that's way too spoily i can't but we're going to talk about it but i'm not going to include it we'll go we'll talk about it at the end yeah. um because <laughs> it's just too spoily um it's almost though when you're watching the baby lamb at one moment I was like, come on, lamb, say something. Yeah. I wanted the lamb to talk. I thought mm -hmm. at one point the mm -hmm. lamb would start talking, but then I thought I was like, if that happened, then I think it would we'd really be taken yeah. out. You know, it's really interesting, Mark, because that she used to talk. She she had she had a few lines in the script and it didn't work because mm -hmm. you broke the illusion. Like right. when we I saw it, it was in the first cut she had this weird little voice and then it's like because then you kind of open with saying like is she really there or no is she like is is she imagined by them and i think when they when she had lines and she was talking all of a sudden she just became way more real in a way that broke the possibility for her to exist different than in everyone's mind you know yeah. what i mean so um, I kind of like that they were brave enough to pull that. Mm. Is this the start of a franchise? Are we going to see a movie called Puppy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then the kitten. <laughs> Come on, baby. <laughs> so many. <laughs> really. Oh, my God. We can go so many places. Maybe you'll see me as a half. Maybe next one is like my head on a, on a sheep mama. <laughs> well, funny you say that. Because when the trailer came out and our office went nuts and the trailer, the, the post on Variety for the trailer did like these incredible numbers. People were just, as, as I'm sure you know, we were just fascinated by it. At one point when I started to watch the movie, I was like, oh my God, am I going to see her head on top of a lamb for some reason? And yeah. the, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I just think I want to see I want to see Puppy for sure. I mean, yeah, because that makes the most sense. I can, I can start working on that. I'll, I'll talk to Valtimar today. 
Um, well, thank you. This was this was fantastic. I'm so glad we got to talk about it because it is it is a movie that I think so many people are going to have their ideas about what is happening, what's not happening, what's real, what's imagined. Yeah, for sure. And also, I mean, it's it was interesting. One day uh, we were shooting in the house and the, and the sheep mama was standing outside and just like, like going on. And I was like, you know, I was going nuts. I was losing. I was like, can you get him to shut up? You know? And I was running out one day. I was like, shut up, shut up. And it was really getting to me. And then I realized she was calling for a baby. Like I was calling for my baby. And then it was like, I had this, like, it was for a split second. I was just looking at her. We were like staring at each other eye to eye. And I was like, we're not that different. You and me, <laughs> you're like me, I'm like you, <laughs> you know? Well, it's, then, it's, you know, they call it, you, you know, your animalistic instinct. Yeah. So we are way more primal than, than I think, you know, this, we live in this beautiful technical world. Whenever we're doing this, Mark, you know, I'm talking to you and it feels like I'm hanging in eat more tacos room, <laughs> you know, and then. Uh, but at the same time, if we meet and I hug you, you, you know, our pheromones, like, uh, you know, our hormones, you will, you will get a total different sense of me because then the animal, like the more primal animalistic side in us will kick in. Our senses. It's our senses. Exactly. And that was so, it was a really good reminder for me to be like brought back to the, to the dirt and to the, like, to the soil where everything started for me. It's like, I got really like sent back into myself and it's like, this movie was it's probably one of the most important movies in my life for as a, as a, me as a human as well. And uh, was it as cold and damp as it looked? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so awful. <laughs> and I'm, I hate being cold. I love heat. I love to be sweaty. <laughs> well, thank you again. Um, safe travels. And um, hopefully the next time I see you, it'll be in person. Yes. Thank, Thank you. you. Take care. Yeah. Bye. That was Numi Rapaz. Lamb is in theaters now. Thanks for listening to this week's Just for Variety. Remember, make sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, go to Variety.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.